Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of Can We Please Talk Podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And still trying to find out how the Raider game ended yesterday. Shout out to CBS and the NFL. I'm Nick Severi. You could Google all of that for some Raiders fans that didn't get to see an amazing game there in an overtime win. Uh, I got to see it, at least. Uh, on the program today, Nick, former President Trump, meets with a racist over at Mar-a-Lago. House Republicans' first order of business in 2023 is to, let me check my notes here, impeach the Department of Homeland Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Great. Uh, plus, Laura Kolodny, CNBC tech reporter. She's a fantastic tech reporter over there covering Tesla, SpaceX, and now all the Twitter stuff with Elon Musk. There's nobody better to help us break down not only uh, the psychology behind this man, but some of his business dealings in the past and currently what's happening at Twitter, right? That 30,000 foot overview of everything that you've read in the news with respect to Twitter. Laura does a great job. She's coming up in our next segment. First, I say hello to Nick Saveri. Thanksgiving uh, already over. I'm thankful for a fast holiday and only having to see uh, family one day. What is my friend Nick Saveri thankful for over there? How are you doing over there, my man in Easton, PA? Good. Uh, I was thankful to see my parents as well. They um, they they took their you know granddaughters for an afternoon and early evening. Laura and I went to New York for the first time since the pandemic and just had dinner uh, out without the kids. Felt amazing just to get just have a date night you know with my wife. Such a foreign concept, right? Right. Uh, but it was good. Now the holiday was great. I got a chance to do some cooking 
Uh, my wife obviously is a, as a PEDS ICU doctor, worked a 24 hour shift, slept in on Thanksgiving morning. I told her I got you. So I banged out all the, um, you know, all the other fixings and stuff for Thanksgiving. By the time she got up, it was all prepped, done, cooked in the refrigerator uh, while I've had you know, the World Cup going on in the background. So you got your guy got the work in. I, I definitely earned my uh, earned my apron in the kitchen that day. Um, we had a great we had a great meal after. And you know, that was that was it, though. That was that was Thanksgiving for us in Pennsylvania. Uh, I think you did a little traveling, though, you know, over I, the past weekend. I did. I was in, in Key West. Shout out to the folks in Key West uh, out there. Uh, great time over on Duval Street and hitting up just me and my wife and and we you know got to spend some time away from the girls but i mean obviously thanksgiving first in miami and went out to key west but beautiful out there i haven't been to key west since i was maybe 14 years old so um a lot of you know the sunset over there at mallory square and there's some other great places down there it's actually a really good cuban coffee spot down there I'm trying to get them to see sponsors of the show well, well more on that you know obviously we love our fresh roasted coffee here obviously you know how much we love fresh roasted coffee but Really good coffee down there in the key. Uh, speaking of which, we're going to need coffee for some of these segments, Nick, uh, because we got a lot to get into. A lot happened last week, and obviously everybody's returning now back to uh, to work. Uh, Congress is returning back to work for this lame duck session as you know we wait to uh, bring on a new House and Senate. You just mentioned uh, or alluded to it um earlier uh in something else that we were recording about the georgia runoff and we were talking about that so yes early voting has started in georgia we'll find out who will represent that state on december 6th maybe 7th we'll find that out but first let's get into uh everything that's already happened uh because last week a controversial dinner happened with former president donald trump and two people one guy running for office and the other guy, a white nationalist. If you haven't heard about this dinner, I'm going to get some of Nick's takeaways on this. But last week, President Trump meeting with uh, Kanye West, who likes to be known as Ye, but I'm not going to call him that because his mama calls him Kanye. I'm going to call him Kanye, if you get that analogy uh, or, or that phrase, at least. Um, so for Kanye West and uh, a white nationalist, Nick Fuentes, that's what it says here in the copy, Nick. I think you wrote this, white nationalist. Well, he is because we're going to get into a little bit of, of some of his comments. But these these three folks met and a lot of Republicans are condemning everything that has taken place with respect to that meeting. Former Vice President Mike Pence saying uh, telling News Nation in a recent interview that he feels Donald Trump should apologize. He doesn't believe that the former president is an anti-Semite, uh, but I wouldn't have been his vice president if he had. But he truly needs to apologize for meeting with somebody like Nick Fuentes was the quote from the vice president. You had uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who made some comments. Obviously, he's of Jewish descent. He made some comments about Nick Fuentes. I want to play here and then get your reaction on the opposite side. Last week, it was reported that Donald Trump, the former president of the United States and Republican standard bearer, had dinner at Mar-a-Lago with a notorious bigot who fancies himself a leading thinker on the extreme edges of the hard right, embracing everything from white nationalism to anti-Semitism, to outright Holocaust denial. For a former president to sit down and have dinner with a high-profile anti-Semite is disgusting and dangerous. To give an anti-Semite even the smallest platform, much less an audience over dinner, is pure evil. You know, when I was thinking about topics that we would do for our first segment here, 
I started, you know, going through the different news channels and, and the different apps that I use to read news. And then I started looking and I was like, you know, I really don't want to cover this. But then you think about it and you're like, former president who announced that he's running again for the presidency meets with a white nationalist um, should probably get a lot more attention than it's. I mean, again, it's been being covered a lot, but it, it should definitely get attention from the folks over at Can We Please Talk? Because this is a huge, a huge deal. A former president openly meeting, and he's tried to backtrack on his social media platform, True Social, that uh, Kanye brought a friend with him who he didn't recognize. If you go uh, to the Anti-Defamation League website and you just type in, you know, Nick Fuentes, who has been listed by every organization that tracks hate speech, racism, bigotry, uh, from the Southern Poverty Law Center to to the ADL themselves. Uh, He has been listed as a white supremacist leader, organizer, and a podcaster who seeks to forge a white nationalist alternative to the mainstream GOP, okay? Uh, He was at the the white supremacist Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. Uh, He is also a supporter of the Groper Army, If you don't know who they are, they seek to preserve white European American identity and culture. Nick Fuentes, I remember talking with my wife off air about this. She was like, I've never heard of this guy. I'm like, oh, I know who this guy is. Because if you remember, Nick, you and I a while back had mentioned you and I don't deal in the land of disingenuousness, right? With respect to Candace Owens, Ben Shapiro, and some of these other folks. And I've mentioned it a bunch and analogy wise. Uh, We could name our podcast America first and we put the hats on and it's two brown guys, you know, you know, love in America. We bash. Guess what? Nick Fuentes' podcast is called Nick America first. Would you would you know? So the name's already in use. Uh, Good to know by somebody who's a a racist and a bigot. Um, When you saw this story come out last week and then the subsequent backtrack again, some of your initial thoughts on not only a former president again. The severity of this is, I think, being lost on some, and it's not being uh, spoken about with with respect to this, right? This is a former president who participated, or at least helped to incite a riot at the Capitol, stopped the steel rally for an election that wasn't stolen with people that are on trial right now for that, the Proud Boys, again, another group that is into white supremacy, or at least is listed by the Southern Poverty Law Center as a hate group, right? And here he is openly having dinner. Forget about the Kanye West part for a second. We don't care about that. Forget about that guy. Openly having dinner with a white supremacist. Openly. Nick Fuentes makes no bones about where he lies with respect to white nationalism. And here's a former president who, like you mentioned in a recent interview that we did with somebody else, it's going to walk into potentially 40% of the vote when he runs in 2024, if he is the candidate, if he if he wins the GOP nomination. And he's meeting with this guy openly, kind of backtracking, but still meeting with him openly. Some of your takeaways on that meeting, and then Fuentes, obviously, overall, we know what you're going to say, because I just said it for you. The guy's a racist and a bigot. Uh, but give me some of your takeaways. Yeah, you know, I I don't have really much of a response. Uh, earlier today um, on MSNBC, there was a host that had talked about this and was trying was trying to make the point, as you were doing, although I think you've done a much better job of it, 
of how important this is, you know, that Trump is having this sitting down for a meal with this person. Um, you know, when it's said to me, well, Trump is having dinner with a racist, um, I, 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 I will just be as likely to ask, well, what did they eat? Because I mean, because I don't care because because right. it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. I always come back to this with Trump. The two things that tell you everything you need to know, the two clips you could always listen to or watch that summarizes Donald Trump is his opening speech. You know, when he came down the steps of Trump Tower talking about like launching his campaign. Mexicans are rapists. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he spoke to. You know, to you know, to people from Mexico who are arriving in the United States or those who may have come south of Mexico, because basically he was saying all brown people coming up from the southern border you know, are racist. And we're seeing the same nonsense with the whole fentanyl thing. And, and we're going to get into that. In, exactly. In just a sec. But go ahead. Right. Then the other side was his reaction to Charlottesville 2017. You know, that were both both sides, you know, both good on both sides. Right. Which, by the way, of person, another notable racist who applauded his courage, that was the word he used, was David Duke, who was quoted shortly after applauding the president's courage, the ability to you know, speak truth to this situation, finding the good people. You know, So I'm not at all surprised that he's having a meal with Nick Fuentes or Kanye West or anyone. Honestly, you could resurrect Hitler and tell me he was at that meal, and I would simply say, well, what did they eat? Right. Like it doesn't mean anything. You could dig up every famous racist on this planet and have sat them at Mar-a-Lago and none of it surprises me. So when I heard that MSNBC host bring it up today. What occurred to me, what entered my head in that moment was when people have a reaction to this, what it tells me is that people have some sense of faith or some perception that Donald Trump is doing something wrong. And what I would argue is in his mind, he doesn't care. This has always been a question. Is Donald Trump a racist? I have no idea. I truly don't. What I do know is this. He's comfortable being around racists. So if you want to, so if you want to argue guilt by association, go for it. I will argue he's a racist because go back and look at what happened with the those exonerated for the Central Park, the rape in Central Park and Donald Trump's reaction to that. Um, and you can even look at the situation with his father and, you know, and housing discrimination. So racism is very much alive in the Trump family. Um, so I'm not at all surprised. And at this point, when people talk about this, I just look kind of disappointed at people saying, have you not been paying attention? Like, this is what he does. And the 40 percent I talked about, that's what I'm really curious about. From a strategic standpoint, for Mike Pence to come forward and say he should apologize. First, that's that's indicative of a person who's running for office, because that's not the same energy I would have gotten from the former vice president had this happened while Trump was in the White House. Right. Pence, who won't even go to the January 6th committee to testify, um, is speaking out against this. You know, Chuck Schumer, all these folks, don't be surprised by this. Combat it. You know, call Nick Fuentes out for what he is, call Trump out for what he is, and keep it moving. Folks, Donald Trump got reinstituted on Twitter. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. You know, the first thing that any sensible person does if you want to stay on Twitter, you block him. You just mute him. He's been back on. And I and I was curious. I'm like, well, what's done? I'm curious. I haven't seen anything from Trump. Is he actually tweeting? And I looked up. I'm like, oh, that's right. I blocked him. 
because I'm a smart person. So, yeah, I sorry, I, I ran long with what you're saying about like asking me my reaction. But it was just so fascinating because I heard someone talk about it disappointingly today. And I said, you just don't get it. This is who he is. Keep him. Right. Well, I mean, the list of Republican candidates uh, that, from Mike Pence, not candidates, excuse me, the list of just Republicans in general that are, you know, coming out against former President Trump for meeting with him. Lindsey Graham said something, but, you know, Lindsey Graham will flip flop uh, and just give him a couple of days and he'll flip back. Uh, governor or former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie said something with respect to it's just another awful example of, of uh, awful lack of judgment from Trump. Then Tommy Tuberville made one of the dumbest comments ever. Again, the senator from Alabama, the former Auburn coach, where he said, we all make mistakes. Uh, yeah, that's not a mistake there. Tommy, uh, I don't meet with racists by accident. Uh, again, at least not planned racist by accident. Uh, I just thought it was the, the, the way I'm hearing this covered on different outlets is uh, not being given the attention that it should be specifically from the side of the Trump perspective, right? I know what you just said. Well, well, I mean, you could, it wouldn't shock me if Hitler showed up there and, but like a former president, just imagine, you know, Bill Maher used to have this segment. Imagine if Obama did this, I hate playing that. What about ism game? Because they're not, they're not, this, they're not equatable. It's not a real scenario. I mean, I don't remember the last time Obama and people are going to go back to the preacher and, and, and the stuff that happened when he was first running, if you recall, and some of the remarks from that preacher, again, when he was the senator running for president, but uh, openly meeting with somebody like Nick Fuentes, who has a lot of content out there, tons of content. He's had that show since 2017 um, about white nationalism. You would think for Trump to be like, I don't know who that person is. Come on. You know who Nick Fuentes is. Uh, one more point for Mrs. Ray before we move into Another part of this uh, and coverage of the news media and fact checking things in real time. Okay, one more point for you. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason I'm not surprised is that because MAGA is really is essentially is soaked in white nationalism. Right. Make America great again. It's a Reagan slogan and it implies let's dial it back to pre-1964. So, you know, when Trump walks away with 40 percent of the vote, it's really 40 percent of Americans who are just against progressivism, specifically as it relates to, to the growth and advancement of people of color. So I, you know, it's it, as you're talking about a former president does X, what I would say is this is part of the strategy. He's not going to walk away from MAGA. He, he, he made MAGA 2.0. Fuentes is just another version of Stephen Miller. And you all know, again, you know, Miller was a advisor to the president. Um, you could just add him to the list of these kinds of people that Trump surrounds himself with. And the question I'm going to ask is to anyone who you know, said economic anxieties in 2016 and you know, had all these ways of doing mental gymnastics for voting for a bigot like Trump. Well, what do you want to say now? Right. No, you're right. Well, it feeds in perfectly because you just talked about our southern border before you talked about uh, progressivism and, and, and having people that look and sound like you and I. Uh, advance in this country. Well, uh, we have, we're in the lame duck session right now. We know that the House is going to Republicans just by how much margin of vote. We still don't know. Still some states, uh, still California counting uh, some of their stuff there, which is 
ridiculous to me that California still can't. What's going on over there? Uh, maybe another segment devoted to that uh, in the coming weeks. But if you haven't heard as well last week, something else that kind of came out that was covered in the news cycle uh, and again, fell kind of a little bit under the radar just because of Thanksgiving break and, and, and news maybe not being talked about that much with respect to the holidays was House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy saying that Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas should resign over the, the U.S.'s management right now with the southern border. Uh, he said when he becomes new House Speaker, if he doesn't resign, that they're going to use subpoena powers and every order action or uh, to, in their power to begin an impeachment inquiry into Alejandro Mayorkas. And it even kind of funneled over into what you would call more uh, moderate leaning, let's say, uh, Republicans that are in the House, like Michael McCall, who who represents Texas, he was on the Sunday shows. You and I were texting about this. I want to bring it over to into here because it funnels in perfectly. So he's on the Sunday shows on ABC with Martha Raddus, who's filling in for George Stephanopoulos, and she asked him a question with respect to you know Kevin McCarthy's comments on this. And remember, he represents Texas, the tenth district there in Texas. Take a listen to his comments on this. Congressman, just one quick question here about the border. You represent Texas. This week on the border, Kevin McCarthy called on the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas to resign, saying if he doesn't, he will seek to impeach him. Do you support those efforts? You know, look, you have to build a I was a federal prosecutor, right? You got to build a case. You need the facts, evidence before you indict. Has he been derelict in his responsibilities? I think so. I have a wide open border in my home state. We have all these uh, people coming in. We don't know who they are. Terrorists watch list. Fentanyl's coming in, killing more young people than ever before. Um, really, almost 100,000 now, which if you look at the Vietnam War, uh, equals what we lost in Vietnam over 20 years. So I think, you know, they are complicit with the biggest human trafficking of our lifetime. And I think the American people deserve some accountability. Okay, thanks so much for joining us this morning, gentlemen. All right, we're going to get into a couple of things from that soundbite, because first, Martha Raddus just letting a bunch of that slide uh, is not good journalism. I know she's up against a break. Uh, so for the people out there that watch television or work in television, sometimes you have a hard out and, you know, it, the thing will go to break even if you don't <laughs> go to break yourself. And I get that. However, there's a couple of things within there that Michael McCall lied about with respect to open borders and not understanding who's coming here, who's not coming here. Again, if you don't trust the data from the people that collect the data, that's a different conversation. We've talked a lot about this on the show before you go here, Nick, and I want to get your takes on this, but uh, I was on the Rick Sanchez podcast, which you can go check out available wherever you get your podcast. Uh, shout out to Rick Sanchez, a former CNN uh, host and Fox News contributor. And we were talking about this with respect to Carrie Lake and the Carrie Lake arguments when she was running for governor about fentanyl. It's the common talking point for these folks, specifically on one side of the political aisle. And Michael McCall, again, not in the MAGA column. He's more in the moderate Republican leaning column, just having followed him career wise and seeing him on the Sunday shows but hitting on a lot of the talking points there. So when you dive deep a little bit more into the numbers, yeah, you're having an increase in total enforcement actions this year. 
since 2021, right? Last year, 1.95 million encounters at the border, total enforcement actions. That means, you know, where Border Patrol agents are encountering these uh, folks this year, there's, as of right now, as of this taping, there's been 2.8 million, right, border encounters, right? So that that is an increase for sure. That is an increase. Uh, with respect to fentanyl, though, the fentanyl related deaths was all within a couple months spikes earlier in 2022. Uh, if you look at the drug seizures for fentanyl, just just in 2022. OK, with respect to uh, drug seizures. OK, fentanyl is like fifth on the list with respect to drug seizures, fifth on the list. By the way, Nick, what does the word seizures mean? It's a rhetorical question, Nick. It means that it was confiscated, taken. They didn't get in to the country because it was taken. A seizure means it was taken. I can't stress that enough for the people that listen to the show that have hit up our inbox that say, you don't cover the drug seizures that are happening at the border. You want me to cover something that was confiscated? Something that was taken away by law enforcement doing their job. Repeat that sentence to yourself and then find out why I'm not covering that. Uh, in September of 2022, the Custom Border Patrol Southwest Border released their enforcement numbers. And this kind of gets into your point about black and brown in this country and, and how, you know, there are some people like a Nick Fuentes that don't want to see black and brown thrive, let alone uh, come to this country. There was a 15% increase just in the month of September from folks fleeing authoritarian regimes in Venezuela and Cuba and Nicaragua. 15% increase, about 182,000 individuals were encountered there at the border. 77,000 of them, like I mentioned, from Venezuela and South America, Cuba, the island nation, and Nicaragua. Uh, and again, huge increase. Yes, but these folks are encountered. And then there's a percentage of them that are sent back. And then there are ones that are seeking asylum. So the fact that Michael McCall is mentioning about these border crossings and folks that are coming here that are not accounted for, okay, it doesn't jive with the statistics that DHS, Custom Border Patrol, and then the drug statistics that DEA released with respect to fentanyl, U.S. overdose deaths. Okay, Nick, this was a 12-month period from July of 2021 to June of 2022. The CDC estimated there were about 107,000 overdose deaths, okay? That's with respect to opioids, okay? So fentanyl is a part of that, but it also includes like heroin, for example. And that was 40 fewer deaths than the 2021 previous year. So this rapid spike of like the fentanyl or at least fentanyl-related deaths because it is, you know, within or mixed into other drugs the numbers were down from a fiscal year looking at July of 2021 to June of 2022. This is, again, according to the U.S. News and World Report. Uh, and that's compiling data from about um, seven or eight states that, you know, uh, had reported deaths related to opioids. Um, some of the data points just don't jive with uh, what some of these folks, uh, again, specifically on the Republican side of the aisle, are saying about the crisis at the border. Yes, numbers are higher with respect to encounters this year. And we have seen, again, a rise in authoritarianism in a bunch of these uh, countries in Latin America and South America, which is a little bit of why it's causing the increase in spike of folks coming to that country. But again, 
these are encounters. The numbers that you're hearing there are encounters that are met. And then the subsequent 69 to 72% that are sent back that were previously under Title 42, that the Biden administration continued to use after the Trump administration instituted it, those folks are getting sent back. So if you just do a simple 2.8 million times 0.72, you'll see what percentage of folks are actually getting sent back and are not staying here. And then the ones that are seeking asylum have to go through a process. There's a process to all this. This is not just folks are rapidly coming in and they're undocumented and they're hiding out and they're doing X, Y, Z and any other fear statements that come from that side of the political aisle. Um, I was talking about this earlier with somebody else before I get your takeaways and then we go to the break to, to Laura, but like um, right, wrong, right, wrong. Like I want to get back into right, wrong with respect to giving you the full story with data points. When Michael, and you're going to get into the media part of this because Martha Raddus did not challenge any of this. I gave a quick summation as to why she probably had a hard out, didn't expect that answer, but she should be prepared for things like this because this, this, this has been the talking point that fentanyl deaths are XYZ. However, where's that same pushback with COVID deaths? And we're trying to do measures to prevent people from getting COVID, right? Like you don't get it, right? I hate playing the what about ism being, but you don't you don't get it there. Um, and then with respect to what I was mentioning before, which is some of this stuff is just not true. Like just look at the word seizure. Like you, Fox News is putting up a graphic, and this happened under Martha McCallum's show, and they're putting up a graphic with respect to how many arrests have happened with folks coming in with fentanyl, and this was just like in a small sample size of one state, Nick. The word arrest is in that graphic. That person is not coming here. They're arrested. What are some of your takeaways on this issue? Because it really funnels into the first part of what we were just talking about. And now we're seeing this play out where the House is going to Republican control. And in 23 and 24, especially as we go into an election year in 24, we're going to see a lot of committees springing up that are going to waste time with frivolous activities that are wasting taxpayer dollars and A, that's A, and B, are already in progress. The Department of Homeland Security and the Custom Border Patrol and the DEA and the FBI and whatever other three-letter agencies are already working to protect this country and to seize and arrest folks that are wishing us harm or are bringing in drugs and things like that. They're already doing that. To have a, a committee that looks into something that's already being done is frivolous. Give me some of your takeaways on this. You know, first, I would offer that what you all just heard is why we do this show. The last couple of minutes that Mike took you all through is one of the things I'm most proud of, of, of working with him. Um, it's funny. We, he and I have developed this really good relationship we've always had it but it was like we had a sixth sense because i saw that clip from face the nation no sorry not face the nation it's cbs so it was a you know abc news's program abc um this week, and yeah. thank you and I, I just immediately thought of you because i saw those comments from that republic from that member of congress and no pushback and i thought this feels wrong and, and now the difference is you realize that this probably from a production standpoint may have been due to a hard out, you know, what's going on. 
Yeah, but to me, as another student of journalism, sort of on the more ethics side of it, I look at that and say that that's irresponsible. Mike, if I placed you in Margaret's situation, I don't think you stay silent. I think you're gifted enough that even though you know you're hearing in your ear, you got to go. I feel like you would have in 10 seconds had said something to the effect of, sir, some of those facts are can be contested. Like you would have come up with a way to force this conversation to go further, even though this person is going to leave your program because you're not a turnstile on these programs. Margaret in that moment was uh, Martha. Sorry, Margaret's over. There's a uh, Margaret over at CBS. Face Nation shout out, by the way. I heard that program much more conversations, not necessarily about this, but about other topics where the host was digging in and brought facts. Uh, I didn't see that from Martha. And I hate digging into an individual person here, but it was shameful because it is perpetuating. And now I'm going to sort of zoom out a little bit. Fentanyl is just another version of Willie Horton. It's another fear tactic from Republicans. And now I get this all the time. You know, well, you always attack Republicans and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, fair. But let's talk about what is the response? Um, you know, shortly after Republicans have pretty much ensured that they're going to take House majority. A couple of things I noticed in the news that connects to what Mike just talked about. The formation of committees, the talk about impeaching the head of DHS, you know, Homeland Security. Um, Hunter Biden was talked about you know, by other Republicans. And it connects with another data point I'm going to share with all of you. This comes from The Guardian. In the weeks leading up to the U.S. midterm elections, the message from Fox News was clear. Violent crime is surging. Cities are dangerous hellscapes and Democrats are responsible. Then shortly after the election, things changed. With the vote over, however, the right-wing news channel appeared to decide things weren't that bad after all and decreased its coverage of violent crime by 50% compared with the pre-election coverage. From that same article in The Guardian, prior from Labor Day until the Friday before the, the November 8th election, on Fox News specifically, um, the network averaged 141 segments on crime across the weekday. After the midterms, it dropped to 71 segments in a given week. Folks, that's not an accident. Now, I'm not necessarily saying this is just Fox News because actually crime sells across all media platforms. Ask Mike about that. But what it signifies is that we sometimes see politicians or extensions of a party, like a news network, that will really hype up a particular crisis, but have no answer to what to do about it. But on top of that, will perpetuate it to be such a problem that when they actually have an opportunity to do something, have nothing to say about it. And everything I've heard, potentially from the soon-to-be-returning House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who's got to win a very difficult election coming up to get that role, I have yet to hear anything about the southern border in terms of a, a policy or a bill to put forward to the Senate and ultimately to the president's desk. I have yet to hear anything about crime. I have yet to hear anything about gas prices. I have yet to hear anything about inflation. Many friends I had, I have that have talked about this upcoming, the recent midterm that talked about, well, Democrats haven't done enough. We have these issues. You know, the economy is a problem. I could see why people are going to vote Republican. They, some people did, and I haven't seen a plan yet because they don't have one. And that's always been the problem. I want the Republican party to have a plan. I believe Two parties 
that have viable arguments will make for a better country. But one party right now, this version of it is not bringing that. So when I heard that component, that segment before the break, what I realized in that moment is it's just another it's just another coded word. Fentanyl is the new racist. Sorry, let me go back. Fentanyl is the new rapist. What you heard in 2015 when Trump announces race, you know, they're you know, Mexicans are bringing rapists. That's been replaced by fentanyl. It's just coded language. That's all it really has been. So I'm not at all surprised, but I am pretty disappointed in the host for not finding a way creatively because like my co-host would have done it. And I think any credible person in that situation could have thought on their feet fast enough to not let that person of um, member of Congress get away with that. But this is a larger conversation, which I'm not going to have here about access, because if you do criticize that person, if you do come at come after them. Does that person return to your show? And I think that sometimes is what underlies a challenge for all these Sunday programs. Yeah. Well, a couple of things on that before we go to the break. Uh, you're spot on, um, having been on another podcast to talk about this fentanyl stuff and give out statistics. And then obviously we had a panel of journalists and we covered this before the midterms. Um, I feel like I've been steeped enough in it where... You're right. Uh, you know, in your IFB, in your ear there, somebody's telling you, you got, you know, you know ten, 10 seconds to the break here, thank them and sign off. Well, uh, some of those numbers do not jive with what we have from CBP. We leave it there. Something to that effect, uh, she could have done, Martha. But again, a tougher job, easier for you and I to say that from here. I agree with that. On the Republican angle part of this, I, I think there are Republicans that do have some policy. We've seen some. Uh, they have been ludicrous. Lindsey Graham, for example, with the uh, nationwide abortion ban. Again, with respect to what it is they want to do with women's reproductive rights, with other things, we have seen some of their policy things. We just vehemently disagree with them because, again, back to the right-wrong part of this, right? Like, you are not a woman. You are not a woman. And you know, you'll see Republicans talking about, well, they want to let you have an abortion up to the minimum of conception. Yeah. And then you talk to the AMA, the American Medical Association, and no doctor is performing any type of surgery post, you know, however many weeks. No doctor will perform that. And even one of the doctors pushing back saying, um, yeah, I'm not going to deal in uh, something that's not a real scenario because nobody does that. And the doctor and then the representative kept going. I forget which representative was from from Texas. But again, coded language, like you mentioned, right? Uh, we leave it there because, you know, we could go on with this uh, for, for hours, but in a podcast format, we try to keep it under an hour. But in the next segment, uh, we talked about all this. You want to email us, by the way, can we please talk podcast at gmail.com. Anything you want to get off your chest about these two uh, topics with respect to former President Trump or even uh, House Republicans and what their plan is to do in 2023, email us. You can also email us about this next segment because she was fantastic. Laura Kalodny, uh, she's going to be joining us in the next segment. CNBC tech reporter, nobody better, well-versed in the Elon Musk universe. Uh, Laura, when we come back after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Your website should be a marketing asset, not an engineering challenge. Empowering everyone from independent designers to whole marketing teams, Webflow combines the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and places them all in a completely visual canvas. Trusted by companies like Lattice and Discord, it changes the way marketers, designers, and engineers create for the web. Now you can build the site you want without the dev time. Start building for free at webflow.com. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. All right. She's a fantastic tech reporter over at CNBC. She's going to help us break down everything Elon Musk related. Nobody knows this man inside and out better than this woman. Laura Kalani joins us here on the podcast. Laura, Mike Leon, Nick Savary, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us today. Thank you for having me. I don't know if I can, you know, own that crown quite, but I am sort of a resident Elonologist at CNBC. Oh, see, uh, look at that new terminology for our audience. The Elon, Elonologist. I like that. I think we just found the title of our episode. Yeah, I I think we did. I think I was struggling with what we were going to name it. Now I've got it. Um, Well, let's get into that, Laura, because obviously we invited you on the program. I've been following, obviously, your articles and some of your great reporting on everything that's been happening with Musk with respect to Twitter. This is something we've been wanting to cover for a while here. I have worked in the tech space for close to 10, 12 years, helping to launch products that live out there. So I know more of the product and engineering side of this and have given different perspectives to our audience about that. You have covered Musk and his dealings at Tesla. For our audience right now that maybe knows a lot about this story and the acquisition that happened over the summer, Can you give kind of a summation, 30,000 foot view, not so much about the acquisition, but where we are present day with respect to Twitter? We've heard a lot about firings that have happened, resignations, key cards not working at the office for some folks. We've seen things outside the San Francisco office displayed on the ticker. Where are we right now with respect to everything that Elon Musk owns with respect to the Twitter universe? And uh, just give us the, the rundown, if you could, about everything that he's done with this company so far since acquiring it. Where do I begin? It's such a sprawling story. I feel like people didn't expect the deal to really go through. But if you talk to some of Elon's inner circle and current and former employees along the way, be they from Tesla, SpaceX, or from some other dealings, they knew this was a serious possibility and that he believed he could run it better than the prior management. And uh, well, when he finally relented and took over, the deal officially closed October 28th. Uh, It's been just drama ever since. 
this is not a surprise. Some people are like, oh, he's so unpredictable. But I think any Tesla reporter, any SpaceX reporter, anyone who's covered him from the PayPal days is not finding this so surprising because he always does stuff like this. Steep cuts, you know, to headcount, um, bringing his team in uh, wherever he goes. Like you'll notice a lot of his investors participated in SpaceX, SolarCity and Tesla or something like that. Uh, he's got that entourage, right? And I guess that's not totally uncommon in Silicon Valley, but uh, just going back to PayPal Mafia and how many of them are in deals together. Uh, with Twitter, he's, he's uh, communicated to departing and current employees that ideally he would like for subscription revenue to come way up and advertising revenue to get scaled back. Uh, I don't know that he's doing that in a way that <laughs> it will happen in an even manner, right? Like advertisers are fleeing partly because uh, he's, he's cut so many people so quickly and uh, they have questions, you know, can you support what on the advertiser side would be thought of as brand safety or even cybersecurity for that matter, uh, if we continue to spend money on your platform, then there was the civil rights issue, okay? As soon as Elon Musk took over, there were racist raids on the platform. You just saw this instant spike of racist and specifically anti-black and anti-Semitic hate speech, right? Twitter under Elon's new management like scrambled to contain that and uh, we, we heard from a former exec, Yoel Roth, uh, about how they worked you know, to, to control that basically and get things back under control. But it was still this fairly predictable raid, they call it, when the activity is coordinated on another platform. In this case, it was detectable that this was likely to happen due to conversations that were happening on 4chan. Anyway, because of that, uh, this has created tension with advertisers and civil rights groups right, these civil rights activists and leaders have called for advertisers to suspend their campaigns and their further, you know, media buys on that platform until Elon can make some guarantees about this stuff. But again, that is not the advertiser's only concern. They're also worried about things like supporting me, you know, customer service, basic stuff, cybersecurity, you know, can we safely, hey, transact with you and run these campaigns through all the tools that we used to have when you cut the staff down so much? And of course, some of their, you know, point persons in, in sales and again, client services, there was a big group inside of uh, Twitter called customers, a, a whole lot of that team got gutted, right, which kind of makes sense, because if your goal is hey reduce, right, revenue from advertising, then of course, you're going to shrink that team. The question remains, did he shrink it too much, right, in particular around content moderation and safety. Uh, tonight, there, there's breaking news. And I got to I got to say that uh, you know, we're trying to hold down, <laughs> hold our own over at CNBC and definitely have broken a bunch of news, but also you got to like recognize some amazing trade journalism and uh, tech bloggers out there who are just breaking story after story, whole bunch of great people out there covering this story. Laura, you know, in terms of what we're seeing with early on with Musk's leadership at Twitter, how does that connect with his leadership at Tesla, his other ventures in terms of sort of that cult of personality style he brings, you know, most notably on Twitter, some of his tweets about conspiracy theories as it relates to Nancy Pelosi. They attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband, uh, recently getting into it with Alexander Vindman, you know, a member of the military. Is that part of, 
I guess the package with Elon when he when he you know steps into your company, joins your company, that his personality sort of comes to the forefront? So nothing about this deal resembles any other deal he's done. You know, it's like this hostile leveraged buyout of a very mature company that was uh, not not profitable, but was getting healthier over time, right? And some of the court documents that we saw in the, so you guys remember, right? Elon Musk signed this deal, deal to acquire Twitter. He had started like shoring up a position. Maybe he was going to join the board. Um, and I, I know you've talked about some of this on the show before, but uh, right, he tried to get out of it. And finally he relented and was like, forget it. All right, I'm going to buy it. I can put this deal together. I got the money. I got the debt financing and the equity partners to do it. We're going to do it. And um, the documents that came out from that trial, right? You could see he just, you know, he was bombastic. He tends to be that way, right? Like he's a bombastic leader. And um, I think he... I, I think he has done this with all of his companies. I'm just gonna, like, I was thinking back about some of the Tesla stuff I've reported through the years. And I was remembering that employees at Tesla around 2017, you know, were, I covered some standard issue news overnight, like, oh, Tesla says it's cutting a lot of headcount, uh, kind of steep performance review firings overnight. Reported that just like Tesla said it, you know, quick short item. All night long, the employees were ringing me up like, hey, that is not true. I got like four out of four stars on the performance review or whatever the rating scale was at that time. And I got a pink slip. This is not performance related. We think he's trying to cut us because he's just trying to save costs. Like effectively, it's a stealth layoff. Or maybe he's trying to get me out of here before my shares vest. We saw a lot of the same concern with Twitter employees when he swooped in. And as people were getting cut, they were like, hey, like I was you know, really solid contributor here. I don't know why I was among the fired. Then you saw some people bummed out they didn't get terminated, right? Because they wanted the severance package and they were worried they would stay, but maybe they will only last a handful of days. And, you know, that's what we saw. Like, that's one thing. His his kind of decisions about uh, personnel and cost cutting can, can seem very mercurial from the outside and, and even seem a little bit cruel. Laura, I'm going to get into the the product and engineering part of this in a second, but I, I wanted to give you some more space to expand a little bit um, for people, including myself, who haven't followed Musk, especially at Tesla and at PayPal. You were talking about some of the comparisons. It's not that shocking for people that have been on this beat, that have been Elonologists like yourself, to see the patterns that he has done. Can you get more elaborate into the patterns that he did at Tesla or even at PayPal that you see are kind of uh, forming right now, happening right now, and then the eventual exits at both of those places. And are we on that same path with what he's doing with respect to Twitter? PayPal is a really separate story. I'm going to set that aside a little bit, although he is interested in adding, you know, payment technology layers and turning Twitter into something like a super app, like a WeChat uh, that they use in China for just about everything. Um, so that sort of connects back to his early payment tech days, but I'm just going to set that aside because he wasn't running the show at PayPal, right? Like PayPal acquired his business so they wouldn't have to compete with him and sort of integrated what they could, scrap the rest. And then, you know, he was out of there. Um, but basically with Tesla, you know, 
<laughs> this is funny, but people always think he was the founder of Tesla because certainly he's grown Tesla and his imprimatur is, you know, what we think of Tesla today. But he actually was not the founder. He's he jokes about this. He's the fourth CEO of Tesla, uh, but he's also very bitter about the founders of Tesla, uh, in particular, one of them named Martin Eberhardt who is on a lot of the company's early key patents and is a real like inventor's inventor. Um, so Tesla was founded by these guys, Martin Eberhardt and Mark Tarpening. Martin is still you know, involved in uh, like advising startups and working around battery tech and clean transportation and things like that energy. And uh, Mark is working with a VC firm, similar stuff, uh, but just a little more formality around it, I'd say, called Sparrow Ventures. Uh, it's Omidyar's fund. Anyway, um, sorry for the, <laughs> I digress into like startup land. But Elon, you know, Elon took over Tesla and like really made it his own. Okay. I mean, he was the early investor chairman and had a big influence there, but he wasn't the original CEO and he didn't design like the Roadster core technology, like the battery pack, the HVAC, that stuff was like in play, right? I mean, he had ideas about electric cars. He was really important proponent, advocate, chairman, all that stuff, but he wasn't like, he didn't have an operational role there right away. Um, he took it over, you know, and you could say that he's taking over Twitter with a similar aim to like really put his mark on it, like make it his own, remake it. At Tesla, you know, they had the Roadster, which was their first, uh, you know, they didn't make that many, maybe two, 3,000. I'd have to look up the number. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. But uh, they they didn't have all this like over-the-air software update stuff yet. The car definitely had in-vehicle software, but these over-the-air software updates by Wi-Fi weren't, weren't happening. Um, and that's like, <laughs> I think when we talk about Tesla many years from now, that will be Tesla's biggest impact in automotive. Not electrification per se. It was super important for mainstreaming electrification, you know, and giving other automakers a sense of like how to do it. Like, do you want to run your own charging network instead of waiting for the infrastructure to get built out and all these other important questions. Uh, and obviously they're way ahead on powertrain compared to some other companies that are just getting into it. But that over the air software update thing, that was like his mark on Tesla in my mind. Um, and I don't know what it will be for him at Twitter, but he, he's acting like a founder, even though he's just coming into Twitter right now. Another thing is uh, he's always been able to um, drum up plenty of buzz through his own Twitter account. Like, I don't know if normies who aren't totally obsessed with Tesla or Elon Musk or something are following at this level. But when Tesla went public, this was an era when social media was still rising and we didn't have norms and business around all this stuff. And Tesla put in their like proxy filing announcing, you know, details of the IPO and stuff that shareholders should check uh, Elon's Twitter account as an official communications channel for, you know, company information. So when he tweets company information is official, the Twitter account, and he's doing the same uh, he's doing the same thing at Twitter now. It's almost kind of funny that he owns Twitter um, or crazy. Uh, but, you know, he, he, I do think it's, I do think it's, I don't know if ironic is the word, probably not. It's a little insane that he now has to sell some amount of advertising on Twitter, considering that Tesla has never really spent heavily on any traditional advertising. And when they have done advertising marketing, it tends to be things like events you know, where you're like 
courting influencers and, you know, uh, branding, things like that, merch, whatever is uh, non-traditional. And then you're trying to convince advertisers to spend their money on straight up like promoted campaigns on your social platform. Uh, He's gotten all that for free through Twitter for Tesla. And now he has to sell it to other brands. And he's bellyaching this week about like, why did Apple like reduce their spending with us? Is it because Tim Cook and Apple hate free speech? And I just have to laugh, but he's good at drumming up conversation and buzz. And, um, you know, he really doesn't seem to care about, uh, he's, he's very callous, I'll say, towards um, real issues, real harms. Uh, in 2017, I think the lawsuit came in 2018, I have to look it up. It was Vaughn, Marcus Vaughn versus Tesla. It was one of the early uh, worker proposed class action lawsuits against Tesla where employees, workers, contractors were saying, hey, there is some severe racist discrimination and other unsafe practices within the Fremont facility of Tesla. This is their first US car assembly plant. And like Elon Musk considered it these documents came out in the lawsuit. Elon Musk considered them and sent this everybody email, one of his famous everybody emails. That's a thing he does at all his companies. Um, it's almost like instead of a press release, just send out an email to like thousands of employees and you're pretty sure it'll leak any minute, right? Um, but basically he he said in an everybody email at that time, like, hey, it's important not to be a huge jerk, but also if someone is a huge jerk to you and then they apologize, just be thick skinned and kind of deal with it. And he's had a very similar attitude, you know, at Twitter. Laura, I'm, I'm reminded of the movie from a few years ago, the founder uh, of Ray Kroc, you know, for McDonald's. The, the joke of the title is he didn't found the company. He was found by the brothers. Um, in the story of Tesla, obviously, Twitter is not, you know, something of his creation. And thank you again for that literacy moment of educating us that Tesla is also not founded by Musk. You know, we know with from the movie and the story of Ray Kroc that, like it was really the the vision of franchising. There was a there was a strength that he had that puts that yeah. you know brand on the map. What exactly is Elon's strengths in the companies that he's a part of? Don't you think it varies company to company? I mean, with SpaceX, he assembled this team that has just been executing on pretty extreme. You know, sorry for the wordplay, but like moonshots, right? I mean, making there, but also SpaceX. You know, he he's been able to sort of subsidize SpaceX a little bit with his personal wealth and the wealth of uh, the inner circle that got returns, great returns off of either SolarCity, which Tesla acquired and rescued or off of Tesla's growth through the years, right? Like he can bring along the capital with him and other aerospace startups in this sort of like new space era of aerospace where NASA is working with the private sector more and more. Uh, they don't have that advantage with the exception of, you know, Bezos, Blue Origin, they can draw on his personal wealth. Uh, but it's, you know, being able to draw in people like Gwen Shotwell and just execute on these massive plans. Um, I do think that at Tesla, he's been very entertaining to the customers and he sort of picked up where Martin and Mark left off. Like Martin and Mark would, you know, send sort of like emails and they had an early blog where they talked to customers that pre-ordered, just keeping them posted. Like, we know your roadster is taking a really long time. Here's what's going on. They were doing events, you know, and he picked up and he just took that to the hilt. And Tesla's brand rose with social media. 
right? Like he could see that someone who had worked in Silicon Valley on some successful startups, including in like hyper-local advertising, local news stuff, he could see that social media had this potential and he just leaned into that, used Twitter to its max. They, they do a lot with YouTube that's sort of, I think, overlooked, but um, SpaceX and Tesla both like make intense use of uh, video content and they, they both really, you know, engage with influencers, if not mainstream media or whatever traditional journalists or something. And they just take advantage of that, being able to build this sort of online fan base that is fervent, a little crazy. Right. Well, you know, I want to stay with the movie themes because Nick just opened the door with Ray Kroc. I'm going to stay with another movie. One of my favorite movies, The Money Pit with Tom Hanks and Shelley Long. Uh, Laura, do you think Elon has any regret or buyer's remorse with respect to purchasing Twitter? Because, you know, one of the things when we first started covering the purchase uh, and things like that and with respect to free speech that I've maintained about, you know, this is you're a renter in this house. This is the Twitter house. You want to do something about it. You can buy it. Or what you can do is get Amazon to start some web hosting services. You can create your own, uh, you know, application. Right. And I, I told people on the episode, I'll help you wireframe it. I got a design agency that we can use. I got an engineering shop that we can build this out. We can start creating tab bar and new elements and things like that and test out UI, UX. We can do all of that. But you're a renter in the house. Well, now he's bought the house and he's realizing what is it, what are the issues, right? With respect to the movie, right? They fell through the middle of a hole. Now there's some holes with respect to Twitter. Do you think there's anything with respect to buyer's remorse on his end? Or do you think he can power through this and with the changes that he makes, eventually he'll get Twitter to that place where he thinks that not only it's, it's, it's better for free speech, but also financially benefits him as well? Let's, let's examine that assumption that he's really all about free speech. Uh, he's characterized himself as a free speech absolutist in the past, but then you'll notice that at Tesla or anywhere else, he's asking employees to you know, uh, sign mandatory arbitration and NDA agreements and things like that. Previously, uh, the author Ed Niedermeyer had pointed this out in earlier reporting in his book, Ludicrous Mode, but Tesla used to ask customers to sign an NDA in order to get repairs. You know, it's, they got in trouble over that, you know, with regulators, like you can't do that. Um, the customer's warranty repairs or goodwill repairs should not uh, require their silence forevermore. And uh, it's, he's, he's, he's for a kind of free speech, his vision of free speech, but I don't think his track record on free speech is consistent. Uh, and I could give you, you know, lots of other examples there, but moving on, I'm, I'm not about to forecast what happens. I will say he has put his empire at risk significantly. This company, Twitter, is now saddled with debt. It is taking his time and attention. One of my stories uh, in recent weeks was about the fact that Twitter had authorized you know, 50 plus uh, people from Elon Musk companies, including like about 50, 50 to 60 from Tesla, most of whom were autopilot software engineers or related, you know, software engineers uh, to come over and help him at Twitter. It wasn't clear how much time they would be spending long term or how they would be paid. Will Twitter pay them? Uh, will Tesla pay them? Will he pay them? But he has put his empire at risk and Tesla shareholders, some of them are very concerned about the distraction and also uh, the effect, right? 
Tesla shares have been declining year to date. It was over 50% uh, today. You know, it, it varies a bit, but compared to last year, they were skyrocketing, right? And now it's like, what's going on? Is your distraction with Twitter, you know, and you're beefing with regulators, you're beefing with Apple, uh, you're sounding off politically, you're clashing with these uh, civil rights leaders, advertisers, you name it. Is that is that going to tarnish uh, your position at Tesla? Is it going to make it harder for us to recruit people who now don't believe that you have this environmental mission? Is it going to make it harder for us to retain talent that's tired of waiting around for shares to vest when the shares are tanking? Are we going to have a harder time selling the cars? You know, uh, those questions are weighing heavy on some shareholders' minds. And I really do think he's put his empire at risk. So I have to believe he will try everything he can to make Twitter profitable enough to pay down this debt. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe there's some way he can get a write down if it tanks, you know, and never pay taxes again. Uh, I'm not the finance expert. I, I run out and I get those people to talk to me like I'm a fifth grader and explain it so I can put them into stories and, and get that for you. But I, I don't really want to prognosticate. I just know that it, it seems truly existential for him and his sort of empire of industry. Laura, as we wrap up 2022, knowing what you know and just you reporting about Elon, there's there's already been some speculation, perhaps bringing in a CEO, you know, another face at, the, at Twitter to potentially downplay a little bit of the <laughs> erratic behavior uh, of their current owner. Um, by end of 2023, Q1 of 2023, how likely do you think it is that Elon finds someone to to become the new face of the organization as the CEO? He said in a, you know, it, while he was testifying in a trial, uh, in another matter, not about Twitter, but over his CEO compensation at Tesla. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Uh, Tesla shareholders, a group of them, believe that the board should never have granted him this, you know, truly unprecedented, massive pay package at Tesla, right? And they also said that uh, shareholders weren't fully informed of all the details they should have been when they voted to authorize it and all this stuff. So they've sued Tesla essentially to have Musk uh, disgorge back some of that money, some of his shares back to Tesla, right? Uh, anyway, it's called Tornetta, that, that trial. And while he was testifying in that trial, he said, you know, uh, he said these Tesla employees were just spending a little time over at Twitter and it was like, on a volunteer basis kind of thing. He wasn't very specific about it. And um, he's also tweeted that it's just a temporary situation with his being the sole, um, sole director and the CEO of Twitter. So if you take that at face value, he should likely be actively looking for someone to run Twitter. I don't know who he would trust. I frankly think as, as someone who observes the way he does business, it often seems like he hires people and then has a hard time trusting their expertise. That is why you will see a fairly high amount of attrition at Tesla, even in the upper ranks, like with the you know 20 plus people that are direct reports to him. He has a lot of direct reports and uh, they don't all stay for long. In particular, Tesla has had trouble hanging on to or even hiring a general counsel like the top lawyer. Um, and yeah, there are other roles. Uh, Andre Carpathy left earlier this year and he was sort of heading up the AI, the advanced AI initiatives within Tesla outside of some of the autopilot stuff. And it's, it's challenging, I think. Anytime you have a very driven outsized personality like an Elon Musk to, 
trusting's got to be hard anyway. Um, but I don't know. Who do you think? I mean, who who could you see coming in and running Twitter? Who would satisfy right his sort of demands? Yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a Bob Iger, but that doesn't seem like it's going to happen <laughs> now. But yeah, yeah that's not going to happen now. Uh, we leave that as an open ended question for our audience. You can email us. Can we please talk podcast gmail.com. You, you have a pick. Uh, maybe we'll do a uh, Elon uh, CEO pool. Uh, Laura Kalani is a fantastic reporter over at CNBC. You can check out all her work at CNBC.com. Uh, Laura, I can't thank you enough for not only naming the title of this episode, I'm an Elanologist, but uh, thank you for all your great reporting and insights into this man and everything that's been happening with with the acquisition of Twitter and then the subsequent news coming out of there. Continue success to you and please stay safe. Thanks, you too. I, now I have like 100 questions for you guys about how you're planning to use Twitter in the future <laughs> as creators. So hit me back so I can interview you. Oh, look at that. Absolutely. Well, we leave Absolutely. that for another time. Thank you so much, Laura. This episode is brought to you by Russell Stover's Chocolate. Nick, it's time to make this holiday season the sweetest season. And you can do that thanks to the delicious treats from the good folks over at Russell Stover's Chocolate. What are you getting over from Russell Stover's Chocolate this holiday season for the for the loved ones in the Zaveri household? I think everyone here knows about my feelings for preference. You know, we talk about this all the time. Any service I'm using, I want to be able to customize it. On the website, if you're over at russellstover.com, just go to the top of the page. You're going to see a button. It's one of my favorite options. Create your own. You also can choose gifts. You can choose holiday. I'm a customization person, so I'm already on the site as we're talking about this. Yeah, that's right. A multi-purpose. That's right. Multi multitasking. Multitasking. There it is. Keep that. Keep that in. Um, but I'm just designing a holiday set for the girls. You know, they're all milk chocolate people, so I'm going to find, you know, some real, some just real goodies and, but. This ain't Russell Stover's first rodeo, Mike. They've been around for a while. That's right. That's right. You are so funny. You know that. Uh, gifts for the holiday season, like Nick mentioned, you can head to russellstovers.com today or click on the link in our show notes, more importantly, for a special discount. Apply to checkout. Create a bunch of your own items that you want to get somebody for this holiday season. 20% off $45 or more. 25% off $65 or more. 30% off $100 or more. Let's make this holiday season the sweetest. Head to the link in our show notes right now for a discount on this amazing chocolate. Thanks to the good folks at Russell Stover's. All right. Our thank yous there to Laura Kalodny. Like I mentioned, CNBC tech reporter covering a lot of the Elon Musk news, the history of Musk. She gave you some great insight and overview there about the Tesla dealings, the PayPal stuff. I didn't even know some of the the PayPal stuff, you know, off off the air, she was telling us a couple of things that I wanted to bring over here into our wrap. Um, one was really about, you know, the, uh, as of this taping right now, well, you're hearing this on a Tuesday morning or whenever you're listening to it, but a bunch of suspended accounts were let back into the wild uh, from, from the must side, you know, uh, thousands of accounts and a lot of them, you know, like I said, previously suspended by the previous, you know, content editorial team, let's call it, that were in charge of overseeing some of that stuff. And now uh, Musk, almost like, you know, without notice, or at least I haven't seen any news articles about it. Uh, now you're seeing all of these things kind of released out into the wild. I thought that was really interesting. And, and she mentioned it more in the perspective of, you know, you know, as a female reporter covering this stuff, you know, she gets a lot of flack, a lot of hate from people that are 
very big into, and we could, we were talking about this off air, you know, they're Elon stands, right? Uh, they similar to you and I get into arguments with uh, car stands on the, on the Las Vegas Raiders side, right? These are people that are so fanatical with respect to the person without, you know, talking about any of their flaws. They can do no wrong in their eyes with respect to whatever it is they do. So I thought that was really interesting because I don't know if I've noticed that in my universe. I think you've seen a lot more of that in your universe. Um, I hear Elon talk and I pick up, you know, again, tone, infliction, and then I'm listening to his words. I, I wouldn't run through a wall for that guy for anything, right? If you compare him to other prominent speakers, and I'm not saying Elon Musk is a speaker, um, you know, you hear other notable speakers. I'm thinking of Herm Edwards, for example, the former Jet and Chief coach that has done inspirational speaking and has been, you know, part of the NFL's like rookie development programs. Um, there's somebody that, you, you know, has not only lived it, he has the lived experiences, he can share it, he's coached it, uh, but then also can articulate about it. The do's and don'ts, right? The famous soundbite, right? Don't don't tweet it out. Don't hit send. Don't hit send. Musk doesn't have any of those moments. I've watched a lot of his interviews lately and not only preparing for the different episodes that we've done, but I just don't see it. And if I don't see it, I don't see how others see it. And I, again, I'm coming at it from more of the product and engineering space, right? Where like you're working with folks that are heads down, need to do this. Product folks are heads down on a mission overall. How do we make this? And then how do we make this better? Right? Like, and th those are always the two parts of this. And you need somebody that at least can inspire motivate, but has also the vision and strategy for this. She gave you a lot of that, of what his vision and strategy is on the subscription method side versus reducing the advertising. Uh, what, what were some of your takeaways real quick uh, as we wrap here, not only about uh, what she said in the interview and some other things that, that she highlighted for us off air, which was really fascinating. And uh, part two will be coming up with, with Laura as more develops uh, on, on the Twitter stuff, but like the topic overall, because we've talked about Musk before pre-acquisition. Now we're post-acquisition and we're seeing a lot of different things playing out with respect to, she mentioned it about people being fired and the callous nature with which they're let go. I've mentioned this on Twitter. Knowledge transfer is huge with these companies, right? Because there's always one person or two people that know where the bodies are buried. They know all the code and they know the legacy of this. Like it's not documented in any of these type of you know, product documentation tools from Jira or AHA or Trello or any of these. If you work in product and engineering, you're like, oh, I use all these all the time. Some of this stuff doesn't live there. I've worked at a company where it's one guy and it's in his head. And if he leaves, you're screwed, you know, and Musk has kind of laid off a lot of these people. And then he's bringing in engineers to kind of say, hey, what do you guys think here? What do you think about this car? Is it broken? Can you fix it? Like, so what were some of your takeaways on not only the interview, but but Musk overall on the handling of Twitter? Yeah, I, well, you know, first Laura hit on, you know, just a couple of really key insights, you know, on what, on, on Elon and his work. Uh, first, most notably, you know, I think for those who are, you know, big supporters and stands of Elon, you know, understanding what actually does he bring to these different companies. I thought Laura did a great job of, you know, being clear on like, what is the unique value add and strengths that he brings, um, which seems from a strategy standpoint. You know, as you were saying about your the, the lens you look at Elon from, you know, from a product and so we're like an end product user experience standpoint, right? Like that's that's the that's the world you live in. I look at Elon 
from the standpoint of organizational psychology. Like that's the area I do. I work in from an educational standpoint. And when I understand teams that, um, you know, do not succeed or consistently fall apart, you know, Elon reminds me of the kind of person who basically will come in, has a vision, throw out everyone and truly believe like his vision is going to work. And we saw this early on with all the mass, the mass exodus at Twitter um, and all these weird messages coming from him about, you know, you must work hard. We, you know, like all these new declarations. And it was just the strangest thing. And I see teams that don't succeed. And I wonder, you know, what is he going to bring to all this? So I'm, I'm fascinated by that. I'm also fascinated, too, because, you know, I've seen his name thrown about as a person of influence, um, as this you know, key character. And I don't quite get it. <laughs> I mean, Laura shed a lot of light and that that's helpful for me, but it really, it really does strike me as a cult of personality person. Cause this is not a, he's not an engineer. I can't just place him in a room with a bunch of tools and say, Hey, build this. That's not his strength. If his strength is vision and strategy, that's one thing, right? That's a little bit of, of Steve jobs, but the difference with Steve jobs is you can see the legacy of Apple, which right now, I think from an originality standpoint, is a struggle point for them. But there was very a clear trajectory between all the different things that came out of Apple and your jobs as leadership. You know, with Tesla, you know, it's become part of sort of the lexicon in this country, you know, in the way we understand um, the movement to electric cars. I mean, they lead the way in this, right? And that's a really powerful thing. Like if you stand on you want to be a futurist, you want to be the person who helps guide us to being less dependent on fossil fuel. I'm on board for that because as, as, as a society, we need to get right with that. But when you couple that with someone who also wants to make it about themselves, and if you've really looked at Elon's tweets, it really is that. That's, it's not a sustainable model in almost any situation. And if for anyone here, go ahead and read um, Good to Great, which is a really good book by Jim Collins about organizations and the key to success. And there's a great story about Lee Iacocca. You know who had been a former, I think, a CEO at Ford, and like why people like that fail, and that's what we may see. You know, with Tesla shares taking a dip, Twitter, it's really hard to see what is the future of this if it is to be moving to monetization away from advertisement. Well, I've asked many people, would you pay to use the app? Mike, I have yet to find someone who would say yes, myself included. You know, we use Twitter to engage to promote our show. But the day you're asking me to fork over $8 a month is the day I no longer need to tweet. Yeah. I'm not paying $8 a month for that. Uh, even as we're recording this, as you hear the music and we're signing off here, Musk tweeted uh, literally about an hour ago as we're recording this. This is a battle for the future of civilization. If free speech is lost, even in America, tyranny is all that lies ahead. I don't think that man knows what some of those words mean in that sentence. We leave it there. Uh, again, you can check out all of the great articles that Laura has written over at CNBC.com. Just type in Laura Kalani and you can check out all of her great work. Speaking of typing in something into a browser or into a phone, YouTube video of our interviews. Check out Laura's interview up on our YouTube channel. Type in Can We Please Talk podcast. Hit subscribe for me there, please. Audio podcast platforms, you know, by now, Apple, Spotify, Google. Shout out to the folks that listen to us over on Good Pods. Shout out to our hosting platform, Acast. We can't do it without them. We can't do it without each and every one of you that listens, good, bad, or indifferent. Write us in if you want to comment on what you heard today from the interview with Laura. Can we please talk podcast at gmail.com? You know, we'll read the feedback on air. As always, I am Mike Leon. 
Shout out to everyone in Georgia with the early voting, regardless of where you land on this, being involved in the political process. Great to see that continue. Election day is Tuesday, December 6th in the uh, last state of the union to figure out who will be their senator. Make sure you're there if you live in Georgia. (laughs) I'm Nick Saveri. We'll see everybody next time. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.